introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, so, hi, my name is Danny Coleman. Uh, I am a writer and editor originally from London, UK, but currently in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and I am the creator of The Unfinished Corner, a middle grade graphic novel from Wonderbound, which is the young readers imprint from Vault Comics. Just to start, can you maybe share a bit about your background and how how you came to know so much about the Jewish mythology that went into this book and, and <laughs> what inspired you to make a graphic novel about it? Yeah, so that that is a, a, a multifaceted question. So I'll try and take it one one step at a time. So I, I grew up um, in northwest London. There's a large Jewish community in northwest London. Um, and I fundamentally, I, I was part of that. Uh, my tradition was Masorti, which is sort of somewhere between conservative and reform. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't um, it wasn't hugely traditional, um, which which I liked. My my mother in particular was very keen to have the family members of a, a, an egalitarian community. Um, but it was still, you know, we had services in Hebrew. There was a, a big emphasis on education and on study. Um, and so I did the things that Jewish kids do. You know, I went to Jewish studies classes on Sundays, uh, went to synagogue, not quite every week, but a little bit more often than just the high holy days. Um, and I was also, I was and still am a giant nerd. So the thing that I found appealing growing up in this tradition was how much there is to study, just how much there is to learn. I remember, you know, studying for my bat mitzvah and you learn to read uh, from the Torah, which is completely different than just learning to read Hebrew because it has no vowels. And you have to learn the, the cantillation symbols as well, which is like learning to read music all over again. And I ate this up. I just, I loved it. I loved the kind of, the the academia of it. Um, and I also grew up in a tradition of storytelling. Um, I have very, very creative parents, very creative siblings. Um, and so, you know, my mom um, encouraged me to, to read growing up. We had a huge library of books. Um, and we collectively as a family kind of had an interest in mythology and folk tales. I remember one of my very first comic books was um, a comic book uh, adaptation of Greek mythology. Um, and it was it was hilarious. And I, I remember that book fondly. Um, my father is from Australia. Uh, and uh, while he's not indigenous himself, he had an interest in indigenous Aboriginal folk tales. And so I had a number of books growing up um, of Aboriginal folk tales and sort of grew up absorbing that mythology. So I've just I've always had this interest in storytelling and myth making and folklore and mythology. Um, fast forward to as an adult, when I had a chance to pitch a story to Vault Comics. Um, and they they had not at that point announced that they were going to move into middle grade and young adult books, but I'd known um, I'd known the company founders for a little while. Um, and I had a sense that they were gonna start looking in that direction because the middle grade and young adult space has just become so rich and so vibrant for comics and graphic I had novels. No idea until I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I mean, 
younger readers are are buying books and consuming books at a prodigious rate. It's there's so much in that space and there's so much desire for books in that space. So when I had the chance to pitch something to Vault, um, I thought pitching for middle grade or young adults would be something that they'd really have an interest in. And so my my influences, the things that I thought would be a really good framework for something that was in my tradition um, and that dealt with these Jewish themes that I really haven't seen a lot of in graphic fiction. Um, I I was thinking of, of stories like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Percy Jackson and the Olympians and even, you know, to a degree, Harry Potter, where you have this fun story of adventure and problem solving and friendship and loyalty and, and you know, monsters and myths and fantastical locations wrapped around this core of real life or real cultural stories so that as you read and as you're sort of putting yourself into this story and engaging with the characters, it's it's planting these little seeds in your mind that hopefully you, you then kind of want to go and learn more. I, I, I can only imagine how many kids, how many young readers have become interested in Greek mythology because of Percy Jackson and the, and the Olympians, and that's wonderful. So that was that was the inspiration for pitching to the vault to try and put something out into the world that not only would be fun and entertaining and meaningful to Jewish kids, but also that would be a compelling enough adventure story on its own that non-Jewish kids could read it and hopefully want to know a bit more. I, for one, as an educator, Jewish educator, a longtime camp counselor, appreciate that it exists <laughs> and that it, uh, you know, it's a formula that works for a reason, right? It's uh, taking things that are just beyond our world, but putting them in ours and doing it with stories that are our own stories, which is, it, it's a formula that works for a reason. So, from the first few pages, this book felt different from the, the typical Jewish story for a lot of reasons. The biggest one really for me being that the, the characters are diverse. They, they represent the swath of Jewish experience. There's a secular kid, a traditionally observant kid. There's a black kid. There's a kid who I, I at least interpreted, interpreted as, as Sephardic and mm-hmm. not to mention that their personalities are diverse too. There's there's the the nerdy kid. There's the athletic kids. There's the there's the popular kid. Why was it important for you to include these types of all of these types of diversity in the unfinished corner? Because Jewish experience is diverse, and it's not perceived as such. the The popular perception of Judaism kind of has has two facets to it and that's it there's israeli judaism um and then there's sort of middle eastern new yorkish ashkenazi borscht belts you know you know exactly what i mean shout out to grammarly for knowing the word ashkenormativity (laughs) wow that is impressive um and it's you know i i grew up ashkenazi so I, I have strong roots in that tradition and I want to see it represented, but it's not the only aspect to uh, to Jewish culture. And something around the time that I was starting to research the book and starting to make decisions about what I wanted to put in it, 
Um, there were a number of news stories about uh, Sephardi Jews in the U.S. connecting with their ancestry. This was around the time that things were politically uh, unstable, shall we say. Um, and so it encouraged, I think, a lot of people to look into their heritage, to look into their history. Um, I think a lot of people were looking for escape routes. Um, and at the same time, there had been a, a push in the Sephardi community to reach out to Sephardi Jews. Um, I believe uh, many were able to claim Spanish citizenship um, or that there was some there was some sort of expatriation initiative, um, again, to, to get Sephardi Jews back in touch with the heritage. Um, and, and it was just, it was, it was eye-opening to me that here's this entire side of the culture that's just not represented and yet is so rich and so vibrant and has this incredible history. Similarly, there'd been a number of, um, a, a number of high profile Jews of color coming out and saying, hey, here's my heritage, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, Tiffany Haddish had a bat mitzvah. Um, David Diggs wrote a rap about wanting a puppy for Hanukkah, and it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's, you know, I don't, I don't think any, any Jewish kid should ever feel not Jewish enough because they're not Ashkenazi, because they don't look like you know, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, it's not you're, even you're, by a Jew. <laughs> I know. Played wonderfully, but yes, not by a Jew. And and so, yeah, it, it's, it's, Jews are diverse, and so diverse Jews should feel seen in the media they consume. And my book is part of that media now. And Jews can be nerds. Jews can play nice. sports. Jews can uh, like makeup. They can not like makeup. They can have complicated relationships with makeup as Absolutely. the book awesomely displays. And yeah, there's there is a, a, a wealth of Jewish experience. And I, I appreciate it, the the vast opportunities for its inclusion beyond the beyond the like the diversity, quote unquote, kind of diversity. I also I also love that the characters each get to challenge possibly like preconceived expectations based on who they are and and what they look like and get to have their own relationships with one another they eat like it's not just these two characters have the relationship and these are the two side characters all four of them get opportunities for for unique relationships to one another you know again why why was it important to showcase the the full the fullness of each of them and through those through those different dynamics they got to have with each other because people are complicated and because teens and preteens especially are complicated you're figuring out who you are you're figuring out where you fit in where you want to fit in um i when i was that age i sort of moved on the periphery of a number of different social circles um i was definitely a nerd. I was a musician. Um, I had sort of my my group of incredibly bookish academic friends. Um, but I also sort of flitted around with other groups. And something that something that was was really had a big influence on how I viewed the world growing up was realizing that 
people can be very different depending on the circumstances that they're in. You know, the same classmates who, you know, wouldn't give me the time of day when they were in a group with each other and talking about things that I had absolutely no interest in um, could be surprisingly and astonishingly kind in other circumstances. Uh, and, and people that, you know, I thought were, were wonderful could be the opposite. Um, and it's, I think I, I wanted to create relationships between these characters who under ordinary circumstances might not have been friends as a way of saying life is a little bit richer if you give people room to be more than they are on first appearance. Um, and I, I like to say that um, Judith in particular, the sort of more worldly and, and popular of the characters uh, is my apology to all the, uh, all the Jewish girls that I grew up with in middle school uh, who, who seemed one way at the time. And it wasn't until much later that I realized that they had their own pressures and their own things to deal with. And uh, I you know, managed to reconnect with some of them years later and they're, they're fantastic people. So who, what you think of people when you're teenagers is not necessarily, not necessarily what you want to stick to. <laughs> Uh, as a, a middle school educator and longtime camp counselor and so on, my my heart totally sings for that. It's <laughs> it's so it's just, it's so important, and being able to see that reflected in a story like this is is exactly what I hope that kids are able to see and and learn. Changing topics a little bit, so the the unfinished corner filled to the brim with ancient medieval and modern Jewish myths and stories. Actually, I think I might've spent more time researching the origins of the book, <laughs> characters and creatures than I did reading the actual book. And I, I loved that, that like that part of the experience was half of what made me love it so much. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty well Jewish educated person. And there was still a lot in here that I was like, what, what is this? And, and I'll be honest, you know, at first, I was confused by some of the iconography, confused by some of the things happening until I did that research and, and found that a lot of it was just, I, I hadn't learned about it yet and, and I, or I had never come across it because it just truly is so, so much 4,000 years of Jewish history to get into. I, I, I love, I love that part of the experience. I'm actually totally like was teaching seventh, a ninth grade class last night and was like, I'm going to try and get the temple to buy a copy of this to use for, for doing that storytelling. Right. Because it's an opportunity for kids to engage with, with that, that the vast amount of storytelling. One of the things that seems to be one of the biggest influences was, was the book of Enoch, which is a, a Jewish text that fell out of popularity a long time ago and was eventually considered non-canon to traditional Jewish practice and belief. How did you how did you land on on this not usual story as the one of the ma major influences? It was so it was a lot of going down research rabbit holes. Um, the priority number one for me was to tell a compelling story. Um, and not just a compelling story, but a fun one with a sense of adventure and plenty of problems for these characters to solve. So as I was doing 
some truly epic amounts of research. I was cherry picking the the stories and the ideas that I thought would flow well into one another. So, you know, if you see a figure repeated across multiple stories, um, especially if those stories are otherwise incredibly diverse, then that's a great sort of piece of connective tissue you can use to bring them all in. And I, I also I wanted to make sure that the book was accessible to non-Jewish readers. And that meant trying to find certain things that can sort of stand alongside our more traditional understandings of angels, demons, monsters, et cetera, et cetera. If you come into a book like this and everything is completely foreign, if it has no um, no familiarity to anyone who hasn't read the book of Enoch and, and so on and so forth, then- how many people have <laughs> right right i i can honestly say i have not i have cherry picked bits of it i just watched a really long youtube video <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly enough the the two things that were ultimately most influential and that i sort of strung the rest of the ideas off of number one i knew that the golem of old prague had to be in there somewhere um one, because it's a wonderful story. Uh, it's it's just so compelling. Um, I've been to Prague. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And the, when you when you visit the old Jewish quarter, the sense of the golem hangs so heavy over over that area. Um, it's how can you write a Jewish book without the golem? Um, but also, it's one of relatively few specifically Jewish stories that non-Jews are likely to be familiar with. So. Again, it's that point of familiarity for people who maybe don't know the blessings or don't understand what a shofar is, but a golem, this I know. Um, and the other one, they figure in Jewish mythology who was um, a rabbi, a scholar, but also a great adventurer, Bar Hannah. He's basically the, the Sinbad of Jewish mythology. And the one of the books that I used uh, that I, I leaned on heavily for research, had a whole section of Barhana stories. And it was the first selection of, of Jewish stories I'd seen that sort of revolved around traveling to one far-flung place after another and encountering the different fantastical situations there. Um, and so structurally, it was something that I could kind of draw on to, to pull these other elements together. It really does, when you read the Barhana stories, it really does read like a sort of Jewish Gulliver's Travels. I got it. I feel like, I, I feel like I've heard the name and now I got to go check it out for sure. You know, I, I, I love the, the openness, accessibility of the book between your point of let's make sure that some of these stories, even if they're very specifically Jewish, that they still feel accessible to non-Jewish readers. I love all of the little asterisk asides that are explaining Jewish terms so that nobody's, whether you are Jewish or not, you know what they mean because plenty of kids that I teach, plenty of Jews that I know don't know what all those words are themselves, which is fine. They they should not feel ostracized from it. But to that to that part of the point, was there any concern that you had in the process of, of, of developing this story where you were worried that that Jewish readers would read it and be like, this doesn't this isn't my story. What like what are these angels and demons? We don't have angels and demons in Judaism. Um, was that was that a, a consideration at any point? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, and 
That came from, over the course of my research, just discovering that Jewish folklore and mythology is so diverse. When you spend 4,000 years in the diaspora, you pick up a bunch of stuff. Um, Forget about the diaspora. The Torah-based stories right. are based on stories that existed before it, too. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, the, the ideas of, uh, you know, angels show up in the Old Testament, they're terrifying. Um the the moment where we get to show an old testament angel in all its glory is one of my favorite moments of the book because you open it to that page and i hope your immediate reaction is what is that if you're willing to accept the old testament as i don't want to say reality because your relationship to faith is your own business but if you're willing to accept it as a foundational text then your suspension of disbelief is already at cruising altitude, right? We've got, you know, shofars bringing down the walls of Jericho and, you know, giant whales in the Book of Nevi'im and, mm -hmm. and again, angels. And, and then on top of that, if you come from an Ashkenazi tradition, then your stories are just infused with Eastern European folklore. If you come from a Sephardi tradition, then your folklore is infused with Spanish folklore. If you come from a Middle Eastern or West African tradition, then those stories are in there again. It's the result of being in the diaspora for 4,000 years. So I don't think I ever felt like I was putting too much in. Um, the, it was always a case of, you know, can I frame this in a way that when my characters get into this situation, they react in a way that feels authentic and then they're able to figure it out in a way that feels authentic. Yeah, absolutely. I, the way that my, my Jewish experience is, ba is based on that idea of Judaism as a, both a religion and a, a peoplehood, a culture many different communities is constantly growing and evolving it's and it has been since the moment of its inception our stories even from genesis are are adapted from or take ideas from sumerian stories babylonian stories later on in, in the you know later parts of the tanakh from assyrian stories from all sorts of other polytheistic traditions that no longer exist for us to compare them to but you know, from scholarship, we absolutely know that we have been evolving constantly for four thousand or so years, and so I appreciate that that perspective of these 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 are Jewish stories, whether no matter how you slice or dice them. So let's 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 enjoy them and gain from them what we can in a modern context. Right. Absolutely. And and for me, something that I found really interesting as I was researching, but that rang so true, is that what makes a story Jewish, so if you could have two very similar folk tales, let's say two very similar um, Bulgarian uh, folk tales, one from the Bulgarian Jewish community and one from the wider Bulgarian community. And they'll have similar elements, you know, witches, shapeshifters, curses, etc., etc. What makes the Jewish story Jewish is that the problems are solved not by punching them or swinging swords at them or raising an army against them, but by outthinking them. It's all problem solving, lateral thinking, a fair amount of wordplay. Um, my favorite running gag in the book um, is that semantics. Yes, we're Jewish. 
because <laughs> it's so it. it's so foundational. And so that was something that 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 was a really helpful kind of guiding light for me that I could change things if I needed to. I could combine stories. I could pull in elements that felt very foreign. But as long as the solution to the problem was clever or lateral or, you know, involved teamwork and problem solving, it would still, to me, feel Jewish. One of the best questions that I think that this book both explicitly and implicitly asks, because at one point... There is literally a, a moment where it gets asked, what is the point of all of this? Why should we still bother with this Judaism thing? It's been going on for so long. It has led to endless suffering <laughs> for thousands of years. There's an incredibly well-made moment that uh, referencing the Holocaust, there's modern instances of anti-Semitism being addressed. There's, you know, or even back to the to the lost generation early on in the book where people that didn't believe got left behind. And it is a, a, a constant theme in our people's history of of bad things. Right. And so what is the what is the why bother when we don't have to? My question to you is why bother? And, and I don't know that I have an answer to that, because I think it's for, the answer is going to be different. There are as many answers to that question as there are Jews in the world. It's it's that simple, and so the best more answers than there are right, and and so the best answer I can come up with, which is kind of a non-answer, is because there are as many answers as there are Jews in the world, that we all have some reason for sticking with it, um, and there is a sense of cultural connectedness that we have that is so strong. It is incredibly strong, whether you are somewhere where you're in the middle of a large and vibrant Jewish community or whether you are, as I have been, the only Jew in the village. There's still a sense that we're all in this together in some way, shape or form, which, again, is a reason that I wanted to have a diverse cast, that it doesn't matter which tradition you come from, what country you come from the color of your skin, the degree to which you're interested in studying Torah, we're all Jews. And we have not only this shared cultural history of trauma that it is important to recognize because it means we have all survived it, um, but there's also this shared cultural tradition of coming together. It's such a communal religion. That's, that's one of the things that... I still love about it uh, as an adult that there are certain things you can't even do unless you have 10 adult Jews in a room. The concept of the minyan is so beautiful to me that it's never a, it's never a truly personal relationship with the traditions, with the prayers, even with God. It's something that's shared with your community, with your family, with other Jews. Honestly, at first, when that question was asked and never really particularly answered, I was like, oh, but I never know what to tell kids when they ask this or anyone when they ask this, right? It's one of the most, the toughest questions to answer. But I actually, hear, hearing your 
your non-response response, which <laughs> itself was a great answer. Miri asked that question and she doesn't end the story with, and this is why I'm Jewish. It ends with, and I will continue to figure that out. The, the story revolves from the first moment around her bat mitzvah is coming up really soon and she's not feeling so hot about it. And, and those questions of why am I doing this? Why does it matter? And all of the pieces that conclude the story all revolve around not this is the solution, but this is the next way to continue figuring out the answer then that maybe I will figure out eventually and that's, as long that's as I keep that trying. in itself is so Jewish I mean look at the Talmud it's it's hundreds of years of commentary of going we don't quite know what this means but we're going to do <laughs> our best to figure it out and if someone else has a better idea that's okay we'll entertain it yeah and you know the 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 centerpiece of the Seder is the four questions the centerpiece of the Shema is you shall teach these words to your children being Jewish is, it, it's a verb. It's continuous. I, and I think if at any point you feel like you've actually figured it out, you've got the answer, I think you're doing it wrong. So beyond that revelation, in general, the book, you know, does not end on the note that the story is setting you up from the beginning to expect it to. Without, without the spoilers, both from characters themselves and the like final conclusion, with regards to the 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 goal of the book from the beginning is that the when God created the world, there was a corner that was unfinished and all of the bad things in creation hide there. So I need you and your friends to, to finish that corner. None of the the expectations are are generally subverted. Between between how we view Lilith and how we view the ultimate conclusion to the to the unfinished corner, what just what what morals, what what conclusions do you hope that readers draw from the way that the story does truly end. I think that primarily that that you should look for the humanity in the people around you. That it's never as black and white as this person or this thing is such a way and that is and always will be bad or good. That it's not that simple. One of my favorite Bohanna stories and one that didn't make it directly into the book, but that certainly influenced the way I thought about some of the characters. Um, he washes up on an island that is populated by demons and at first thinks he's going to be, you know, killed and eaten. Uh, and But when he encounters the demons, he discovers that they're Jewish that these demons encountered Judaism somewhere and they have been uh, they've been practicing it in their own way uh, ever since. And these these demons can't be Jewish. They, they literally can't. They're, they're demons. There's a significant barrier to entry for them, on top of which they're, you know, they're kind of doing it wrong because they heard it third hand and they've been adapting it. And Barhanna kind of has to make a choice about what to do about this. And there are a couple of different versions of the story that I've read, but the one that I like the most is he decides to teach them, knowing full well that they will never truly be Jewish. He still tries to correct them and teach them and and pass on what he knows because they are doing their damnedest and doesn't that mean something? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the other the other thing, weirdly similar, um, one of my favorite Jewish jokes, actually, a man is running through the forest 
being pursued by a bear, a Jewish man. Uh, running, 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 running. The bear's hot on his heels. He thinks that this is this is the end. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be eaten. I can't go any further. And finally, he drops to his knees and starts to pray. Just if these are my final moments, I want to spend them in prayer. And after a second, he realizes that wait a sec, I'm I'm not being eaten. What's happening? He turns around, realizes that the bear is also praying. He's a Baruch Atad and I, and he goes, I'm saved. It's a Jewish bear. This is wonderful. And then he listens for a, for a few moments more and realizes that the bear is saying, which is the prayer you say before eating. Incredible. <laughs> I love it. Jewish storytelling, the very best. More than, more than appreciate your time and more than appreciate the, the way with which the unfinished corner was able to weave together thousands of years of Jewish storytelling tradition into something uniquely modern and approachable for Jewish youth, not youth generally, and hopefully soon some of my own students. And uh, are there any other last information or places that you would like to direct people towards to find you on the line or? <laughs> Uh, if you want to find me online, I am on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and of all things TikTok at Danny Wright Stuff. Uh, I update all three of them infrequently at best, but that is where to find me. Uh, if you want to find the book, um, if you uh, search for it on the Simon and Schuster webpage, you'll find links to various bookstores and outlets, so you can choose the one that's best for you. It is, of course, available on Amazon. Um, and ask your schools and libraries to get hold of it. Indeed. You can find it with an affiliate link to bookshop.org on the But Why Though website as well. Get it from a local bookseller that way and definitely do so. I, again, appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>